For the record, this is Gerard recommencing interview with subject Ian Chesterton. I don't suppose I could have a glass of water. I'm quite dry. I'll have the cup in your cell refilled. You're too kind. After this session. Oh, well, I suppose I'd struggle to drink in these anyway. I don't think you fully appreciate the seriousness of your situation, Mr. Chesterton. Oh, believe me, I do. You're aware of the impact your disappearance made? I haven't really kept up with the papers, to be honest. Front page news for a while. Pair of secondary modern teachers absconding with a teenage pupil. Of course, the fourth estate boys never quite caught on to what alarmed us in intelligence. You see, this missing girl of yours didn't actually seem to exist, Mr. Chesterton. What little paperwork there was relating to her, birth certificate, 11 plus results and so on, all seemed to have been... Forged? Exactly. All in the same handwriting too, I expect. Probably all in the same ink. Where is she now? Susan? Now? <laughs> well, she's not really anywhere now. She's safe. I promise you. She's settled down, started a new life, but not anywhere you will ever find her, I'm afraid. Honestly, you wouldn't believe me if I told you the whole truth. Mr. Chesterton, the authorities suspect you and Miss Wright of consorting with an alien power. To be blunt, the Soviets. <laughs> Treason is not a laughing matter, sir, believe me. There are fates awaiting spies that are far worse than the drop. Look, if Barbara and I had been part of some Russian spy ring or something, we'd hardly have come back home, would we? Not back to our old lives and identities. It doesn't make sense. We'd have forged papers like Susan, wouldn't we? Perhaps. However, the onus is still rather on you to offer a more plausible explanation. If I did tell you everything, you still wouldn't believe me. And how would that be any worse than me not believing the partial truths now? I don't think we're ready for it. Not yet. Susan's grandfather, the doctor, he always said... Would it help if I were to say members of my department were already aware of... The Doctor. What? I don't understand. There have been certain events since your departure which have brought him to our attention. He's come back then. As soon as he didn't need to, he's ended up back in our time again. Time, sir. I can't say any more. 
You're aware Miss Wright is being interviewed too. She'll tell you no more than I will, you know. She is surprisingly resilient. I'm sure you're right. It's just, I have colleagues who may sometimes be a little more heavy-handed than I am. If she comes to any harm, I will... What? Scream in the dark? Rattle your handcuffs? Outside my department, you and Miss Wright are believed to be Soviet agents. If you just disappear again, no one will wonder where to. Not even within these walls. No one would dare to. Your best chance of ensuring Miss Wright's safety is talking fully and openly to me, and soon, before less patient men prevail. I've said too much already. I'm sure you're aware of truth serums, Mr. Chesterton. I know a bit of the basic chemistry, what I've read in spy novels. So you've an idea of how unpleasant they can be. There are men more than happy, eager even, to administer them to you and Miss Wright. I wouldn't recommend it. If you do that to us, you'll never make sense of a thing we tell you. When you inject someone with a truth serum, they tell you everything. They don't just tell you the truth. They tell you every single thing in their mind. Fantasy, reality, what they think you want to hear. The lot. All of it. All jumbled up together. But we would get the truth out of you. Maybe some of it. But believe me, you will struggle to distinguish it from our fantasies. Shall we try anyway? No. Look, I'll talk. I will talk, I promise. But properly. Not pumped full of chemicals. If I'm going to tell you my story, it might as well be coherent. Thank you. But please, you must promise me this information will not become widely known. Mr. Chesterton, you would not be manacled in this cellar if we intended anything of your return to be widely known. Please, for the tape, tell me about the doctor. All right. Barbara and I first met the doctor because we got curious about Susan. She was his granddaughter. We'd sensed there was something odd about her, and we wanted to know more. We followed her home and discovered she and the doctor lived in a sort of machine. He took us away in it to keep it secret. It was a time machine, you see. It would take you anywhere or anywhen in the universe. You don't seem shocked. No. You don't even seem surprised. Your account tallies with some elements of recent events. You mean what's happened here? What's he got tangled up in? You're forgetting your role here, Mr. Chesterton. You talk, I ask questions. Sorry, but if he needs help, in any way at all. Just concentrate on your story for now. We travelled together for, I don't know, forever. Two years, maybe. Sometimes it seemed longer. Sometimes it seemed shorter. Susan left us after a while. She found a husband in the future. And we travelled with another young girl after that. An orphan called Vicky. Vicky what? 
She won't be on your files. She hasn't been born yet. Unless she's come here with the doctor, of course. This machine of the doctor's. Can you describe how it functioned to me? How it was powered? How it was operated? <laughs> I'm not even sure the doctor understood that fully. It was quicksilver and springs and the power of a sun, valves and magic. I'm sorry. I know it sounds ridiculous. I don't know what I can tell you. It was all far beyond our science. Specifics. If you're going to stand any chance of being believed outside this room, you'll need to tell me so much in so much detail that no one can possibly believe it was made up. You and Miss Wright need to relate everything you did with this doctor and pray your stories match up. All right, then. I'll tell you about Hisk. Get Barbara to tell your friends about Hisk. Hisk? Why that in particular? Because it's fresh in my mind. And it's all about policemen. Condiments and sauces! Ornaments! Big necks! Dig rid of items! The details that make your room a home! Fancy goods and lovely and glowing, all lovingly recreated for your personal pleasure. Toys and games, toys and games, and welcome. Pastries, pies and pasties, savoury treats, worldly surprises, Alex's famous pies, satisfaction guaranteed, or your cards rebalanced. The doctor had brought us to a futuristic city. It was a clean, tall, gleaming place, all shining white spires and domes. When was this? Recently. Well, not too long before we got home. Oh, sorry. You would have meant when in history, weren't you? I don't know. Sometime around Vicky's era, the 25th century. There were things there she recognised. We were in a grand open square, all paved in white marble. There was a long, low building at its centre. Clustered around it were hundreds of market stalls. Stallkeepers swarmed around, keen to show us their wares. Tempt you to a bit of slugfish, miss. Exquisite texture melts on the tongue. Barbara just smiled. Just a thing for you and your young man. Ian's not young. Barbara laughed. Oh. But I am yours, I gather. She coloured slightly. You know very well, that's not what I was trying to say. He will be after a taste of this. Six tokens. To buy some now before your little sister does. <laughs> the fishmonger indicated Vicky, trying on hats a little way off. I'm sorry, I'm afraid we haven't any money, Barbara said. At this point, a young man in a blue uniform stepped forward and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Market, Constable, do you have a problem? No, no problem at all, officer. My friend was just explaining we're not buying today. For some reason, the doctor felt the exchange required his involvement too. He left the stall he was perusing and came to join us. We are travellers, he explained, taking the young constable by the arm. Visitors here, and uh, I regret to say... We have none of your currency with us. We're from outer space. Vicky added brightly from under a preposterous bonnet. We're just browsing, really. I wasn't sure they were helping at all. But 
You should have got your cards at your reception port. Sorry? Everyone visiting Hisk is entitled to a 700 token commerce card. For free? Asked Vicky, wide-eyed. She put down an armful of millinery. Of course. We share our resources in Hisk. We'd be wrong not to extend the courtesy to visitors. You only have to pay more for goods if you leave with them. Papa and I still didn't quite understand it. The constable must have seen our puzzled glances. It's pointless trading for profit within the city, isn't it? We'd just be taking things from each other. I'm sorry. How is this relevant? I thought you wanted to know everything. This matters. It's the way the city of Hisk worked. It wasn't like here. They made their money creating things to sell to other cities. But within Hisk itself, everything was shared. The doctor patted the constable hard on the back. <coughs> of course, yes. Uh, we know about this uh, custom. Of course. It's a noble attitude, widely spoken of. Regrettably, though, we seem not to have uh, <coughs> received our tokens. We must have uh, missed our briefing somehow. Curiously, this seemed to satisfy the constable. He turned on his heels and headed off into the square's central building. He returned soon after with tokens for us all. Thick metal business cards with a number display built in. Every time you bought something, you had to put the card into a machine that moved the numbers down from 700. I suppose when you clocked out of work each day, it moved the numbers up? There you are. Enjoy your shopping. You have a good half hour till Limbus. And so we went shopping under an alien sun. Vicky was quite excited at first, running from stall to stall, shouting back her latest discoveries. Hey, Ian! Like the chickens made in Italy! Shoes, Barbara! Lots of silly shoes! I think the stallholders must have thought she was mad. The colours! A plinton! I never knew what one of those was, I'm afraid, but she soon began to flag. I don't think I like this market much, she said after a while. Oh? Why ever not, child? The doctor asked. Well, no fun. At the Assisium market, you had to haggle and hunt around. And it was all higgledy-piggledy and surprising. Here, everything's all nicely arranged and all the same price. I didn't really understand the problem, but Barbara agreed. Vicky's right, she said. It's big and there's lots of variety, but in a good market, you should struggle to find things or find lots of stalls with the same goods. This one's too well organised. You girls are very hard to please. They both gave me extremely sharp looks. By now, a few of the nearby storekeepers were starting to pack up. One of them caught my eye for some reason. He was weary looking, little round-shouldered, and he had some kind of machine attached to his waist that fed thin plastic tubes to his ears. He pulled out a tube and tucked it in his belt. Pasty, sir. 
lasted a morning batch. All down to two tokens. Below as it goes, mine. No last minute clearances. Two, or they're down as sluices. I don't think so. They didn't look quite to my taste. Fair enough, sir. Your loss. You'll struggle for any food till after Limbus now, though. Why? Why? What's Limbus? <laughs> you are new, aren't you? Rest break. This time zone will be shutting down in a minute. You'll need to head for the next trading sector if you want anything before 2pl. He fed a tray of pastries into a waste bin and they were sucked rapidly away. Seconds later, a low bell began to chime. There we go, see? Limbus bell. Perhaps we'll trade later. If you do get peckish before 2, try my brother in Sector 5. Kimmet the Futurer, Liberty Plaza. Say Alex sent ya. He jammed the tube at his waist back into his ear and pulled shutters across his stall. All around, other traders were heading into the middle of the square, gathering outside its central hall. What's going on? Barbara asked. The doctor chuckled. <laughs> really, my dear, have you seen so little of your own world that you don't understand the concept of siesta? I remember Susan and I were with Noel Coward once. People don't normally all go to the same room for their siesta, though, do they, Doctor? He was forced to agree. No, intriguing, isn't it? Uh, shall we see what the draw is? At the end of the central hall stood a pair of imposing metallic double doors flanked by men in blue constable's uniforms. We forced our way through the crowd towards them passing Alert on our way. Close to, we could hear thin music playing through the pipes in his ears. He was mumbling to it under his breath. Keep calm. Approach all openly and serenely. Let the calm enfold you. As we approached the hall, the bells stopped ringing. The doors swung open and we followed the first shopkeepers in. Inside was a long pink-walled room, lined with tapestries and filled with row-upon-row of beds. It was laid out like a hospital ward, but had the feel of a church. Each bed had an attachment on an arm at one end, like a poseable desk lamp, but with a curved plastic shield where you'd expect the shade to be. As we watched, people climbed onto the beds, brought the lamp arms slowly down over their heads, and fell instantly asleep. Picky clapped her hands. They're learning machines. This is like what we had when I was a girl. I sleep learned all my ancient history on machines like these. Are you sure you didn't accidentally stay awake during some of the 20th century bits? Barbara asked. Vicky was always jumbling up bits of our history, telling us about ballet companies in West German prisons and computers that could catch diseases. No, I did not, she replied indignantly. I was very good. So, this Vicky, she understood the technology of Hisk? Yes, as I said, it was close to her own time, 
An Earth colony, I suppose. People had left before she did, I imagine. I see. Is Vicky here too? Are she and the Doctor in trouble? If you tell me what's going on, I might find it easier to tell you what you need to know. Please, Mr. Chesterton, your story. All right. Barbara looked round the hall a little sadly. I suppose this is what replaces us then? A lot of beds and ironmongery? I nodded. They're a bit less unruly than Form 4G though, aren't they? Vicky had sat herself down on one of the beds. She was looking at the plastic shield on the lamp arm. The underside of it was coated in soft filaments. They look a bit bigger than the ones I'm used to, but I bet they work the same. Alec, the pastry man, arrived at her side. Excuse me, mine, I think. But Vicky was too engrossed to pay him much attention. I'll just be a minute. I just want to see if these look like at home. Vicky, cried the doctor. Take care. It may not be safe. But before anyone could stop her, Vicky was asleep on the bed with a plastic shield pressed down over her face. Oh, well, that's typical. Wasted me time with that relaxation fugue, and I finally got in the right dream mood, and now I've got to wait. He snatched the tubes from his ears, tetchily. What did you mean? Dream mode, hmm? What's Vicky ended up in? Well, it's Limbus, isn't it? Our shared dream. What were you lot up to at induction? You share dreams? Well, only in the day, obviously. All the night's your own. Will Vicky be all right, Doctor? He was searching the sides of the bed for controls and didn't answer. So I turned to Alad. Will she be all right? Oh, she'll be fine. Mixing with the cream, isn't she? I spent half the morning getting in the right state to deal with that lot. It's me you should be worrying for. Alec's words didn't make much sense to me at the time. But looking back, I suppose he was explaining how his classes were structured. If this is about to get into the intricacies of the city's economics, I'm very happy for you to gloss over it. Of course. Unless it becomes relevant, of course. It probably isn't. Good. This Vicky girl... She seems somewhat impetuous. Well, she was naive, I suppose. Sometimes she saw everything through the filter of her own time. I suppose everyone does, really. Might that ever have been used against her, would you say? Is she here, Gerard? Please, if she and the Doctor are here, whatever the problem, you need to let us help. Before I can do anything, I need to convince my superiors you are who you claim. Who else would I be? Please, continue for the tape. Vicky was on the bed for a few minutes, I suppose. Then suddenly, with hardly any fuss, she and all the sleepers around her started to rouse. Excuse me. Alec pushed Vicky aside and took her place on the bed. Barbara took Vicky in her arms. Are you all right? she asked. Vicky was fine. If anything, she was euphoric, bright-eyed and excited. She hadn't been in a school lesson like she'd expected, she explained. These teaching machines were more like playtime. Oh, it was wonderful in there, Barbara. You must try it. It's like a whole other city inside this one, but sort of magical. She waved to a passerby, heading out of the hall. That man was a dragon before. A lazy dragon. 
I helped paint her talents. It seemed everyone on the beds had been involved in a sort of vivid collective fantasy that seemed to last hours. It also turned out Vicky was keen to tell us all her dreams funny bits in painstaking detail. It was very clever, you know, Ian. It all felt totally real. And somehow or other, all our ideas were merged up so that they were in the same place. I dreamed I lived in a big castle, but I was visited by lots of other dreams too. There, there were flying people and men on big stilts who could step over the turrets and big Vikings who couldn't fit through the turnstiles. Anyway, after a while, the floors went a bit bouncy, so I went to join someone else in their dream. They were having a sort of motorboat exam in my moat, but then it all got stretched and turned into the sea. It really was lovely. She nodded to another person who smiled back. She was a sort of accountant with angel wings. Mm, it's curious you can recognize people outside the dream. I wonder who that is. Our constable from the market provided us with an answer. Conscious dream mingling is just the tip of Limbus. Limbus connects the people of Hisk subconsciously too. It encourages our citizens to truly know each other to share who they are and what they hope to be together. It feeds into our real lives, helps us work for the common good. I see, I said, thinking it sounded awful. The doctor seemed intrigued. But uh, surely it's impossible for everyone in the city to know one another. You can't all interact in there together. No, the dreams are localised naturally. Every sector dreams at a different hour, but the dreams of every plaza hall in every sector are monitored and pooled centrally. They help us build our future. The constable smiled. Try it, please. There are beds free now. Be our guests. Barbara looked at me uncertain, but definitely tempted. There did seem to be a few spare beds. I'm not sure. The second session's always less popular. There'd be no difficulty. It's very straightforward, Ian. I'll show you around if you like. I bet you'd be a splendid hero in the Limbus City. You could be a knight in my castle. Barbara raised an eyebrow. And I must admit, I felt a little put out. I'd make a very good knight. Richard the Lionheart knew quality, you know. Somehow, I found myself agreeing to give it a try. I reasoned, if nothing else, being part of the dream would be preferable to hearing it recounted. The doctor rather firmly declined to join in. No, 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 no. Not for me. You go if you must. I've no time for such fripperies. Vicky looked a little crestfallen, and he softened his tone. I suspect my body chemistry is a little different from yours, child. I fear the process won't work. Me. He brushed us away with a series of flicks of his fingers. I'll be here on your return. Don't you worry. What did he mean about his body chemistry? I've no idea. It's just what he said. 
Was he implying he was alien, do you think? He might have been. He implied a lot of things. I think it might just have been an excuse. I don't think he wanted to share his dreams with us. It would have been like sharing his secrets. We found ourselves a row of unoccupied beds and pulled the plastic shields down on our faces. I felt the filament touch my skin. It was a tickling sensation. Not unpleasant, warm, but with a slight aftershave sting. Then suddenly, I was somewhere else. Somewhere yellow and red and violet. Gradually, I became aware of shapes. Strange, spindly and bulbous organic forms surrounded us. Buildings, but buildings quite unlike those we'd seen in the waking city. These were the places inside people's heads. Then I saw the people, thronging and teeming, or rather the ideas of people. Some were extravagant, some almost abstracted, some just stylized, heightened versions of reality. I quickly spotted Vicky and Barbara. Barbara was incredibly tidy, precise. Her colors muted, almost like a line drawing of herself. Slightly pinched in a way that made me a little sad. At her side was Vicky, a riot of color, her boundaries ill-defined in a long swirling dress that seemed to have a life of its own. I don't think my castle is here this time, Ian. Never mind. I think it might have clashed with our outfits. I would sent something very like my old National Service uniform, but far, far too big. We seem to be in an odd ghost of the real world's market square. The buildings were twisted and transformed, but a handful of familiar stalls remained. How odd, said Barbara. There must be people here dreaming of their ordinary lives. I suppose they must like them, said Vicky. There in the middle of the square was a face we all knew, hardly altered at all. Lovely cakes, fresh creamy cakes. It was Allard, but he wasn't selling pastries now. His store was piled high with eclairs, iced buns and donuts. Oh, you're back, are you, Miss Pustelaf one? Vicky awkwardly apologised. Mr. Busy Dreaming, thanks to you, didn't I? Mental pitch perfectly chilled all off key now. I had to ask, forgive me, is this really your dream? Just selling in the marketplace like you normally do? It's completely different. I'm selling cakes now. Different market too. A better one if I've got the early session. I hope these aren't your insects. Certainly not. Then something very odd started to happen, even by the standards of that place. One of the gatto on Allard's stall began to bubble and pucker. It stretched and warped, as if coming to life. Vicky giggled as Allard grabbed a tray and tried to press the errant cake down. He pounded it frantically. Then Vicky caught the unthinking panic in Alice's eyes, and her laughter stopped. Something was forcing itself up out of the cake. It was impossibly large, the size of a man. 
It grabbed Alex's shoulders with sharp, vicious hands. The thing was black and ragged, covered in glinting blades. Keep back! Alec tried to fight it off, but all that happened was that he, and it, and his cape stall vanished from the square as one. Shoppers and stallkeepers looked on in horror. Some made ritual gestures I didn't understand. Others shook their heads sadly, while others turned and walked away. Time seemed too slow. Then, without warning, I realized I could feel the limber shield filaments on my face again. The doctor could see the trouble on our faces. My boy, my boy, what happened? Are you all right? I clambered from my bed and helped Vicky and Barbara from theirs. We're, we're fine. I hadn't noticed just how shell-shocked Vicky was. Alad was by the doctor's side. He looked shaken, tearful. Uh, it may not actually have been a harbinger. I've been under stress. It might just be a dream glitch. No one seemed to agree. People were either avoiding Alad's eye or offering him awkward commiserations. What's a harbinger, Alad? Barbara asked gently find the words to reply. She took his hand, and he slowly broke down into sobs. I went over to the young constable and quietly asked him the same question. It's a dream thing, sir. No one's ever touched by a harbinger and lives more than a few days, I'm afraid. It kills them? No. They kill themselves. Harbingers are manifested by personalities on the edge of self-destruction, you see. It's a symbol they generate, a sign of a mind in trouble. A sort of crow man with knives? Oh, yes, sir. That's definitely a harbinger. Always that? Unfortunately so. Limbus is a shared dream. The symbolism becomes universal. I hope you weren't too distressed. He nodded to Alan. My condolences, sir. I hope resolving your estate will prove trouble-free. I was flabbergasted. You're treating this quite coolly, young man, said the doctor. Is this a regular occurrence? Oh, not at all. Forty, fifty times a year at most. Fifty suicides foretold each year? Foretold yet unprevented? Hisk's a city of a million dreamers, sir. A few will always fall through the gaps. Alert was at Barbara's side. He seemed to have calmed a little, but was obviously still distressed. I always worried about this, you see. I never quite felt I fitted to be truthful. I have these thoughts, self-destructive ones. I did my best to get the right head, but, well, it's predestined, isn't it? The doctor tried to reassure him. Predestined? It seems to me, sir, it's nothing of the sort. These harbingers strike me as no more than self-fulfilling prophecy. They symbolize the deepest imaginable despair. Yes? Alec agreed. And if you worry about them enough, you summon them. I suppose so. Yes, but... Well then, I think that is what gives them power. 
The belief that their summoning heralds your death leads to the terminal phase of despair. I don't see how that helps, I said. Don't you? This man is in a cycle, leading him, so he believes, to destruction. All we have to do is break the cycle, lift this man from the delusion that dooms him. That was easier said than done, of course. Alan was reopening his pastry stall now, selling off his wares at a final knockdown price to clear his last stock. I couldn't see how we could lift his mood. We talked and bought some pies and tried to engage with him, but after a while, I suspected we were just depressing him more. We were getting in his way. Then Barbara had a brainwave. We can make a cake together, she said. At first, I thought she was being ridiculous. How could this possibly help lift a man from suicidal depression? Then I realized how very typical of Barbara it was. It was a small, practical gesture with deep kindness behind it. It was also something that might perhaps speak to the inner man. The man who dreamed of selling cakes. Alert took a little persuading until Barbara started to wax lyrical about fondant icing and I saw a tiny spark in his eye. He was wavering. Over the course of the afternoon, nudged on by Barbara, I saw him slowly begin to engage, to smile and just once laugh. Yes, I suppose carob chips could work. It might be fun finding out. Oh, hang on, though. We're nearly at market close. We'll never get the ingredients in time. We will, said Barbara. She split us into groups, chasing through the market for our ingredients. Eggs and milk and flour, candied fruit and exotic flavourings. We ran from stall to stall, making our purchases with those strange token cards as the market began to close down. Alec stayed behind, selling his last few pastries. By the time we got back with everything we needed, he'd gone. For a moment, I thought he used our shopping expedition as an excuse to slip away from us. Then, I saw he'd left behind his address. It took us a little while to find Alec's apartment pounding those unfamiliar streets under unknown stars. It was a second-story bedsitter room a few streets from the square, but hidden down a thin alley we must have walked past three times. When we finally climbed the steps to his door, we found it open. Alert! Vicky went over to the chair where he sat in the dark while I searched for a light control. She tapped his shoulder and he fell to the ground as the lights flickered on. He was already dead.
Suitably refreshed? Never better. Yourself? Eager to continue. For the record, this is Gerard recommencing interview with Ian Chesterton, Reel 2. So, you'd found this Allet dead? Yes. Almost as if the prospect of cake was not the lifesaver you'd presumed. Yes. Please don't mock me, Mr. Gerard. This was a man's life. You'll forgive me if I'm not used to grieving for people who won't be born for 500 years. I checked Hallett's body for a pulse. His skin was cold. It was too late to do anything but close his eyes. What was that? What? The doctor thought he caught some noise that the rest of us had missed. He hurried to the doorway. There. Did you see my boy? Someone running away. I was too slow to catch a glimpse of anything. I must have seen. The doctor insisted. I shook my head. He stared at me fixedly. Someone was in here with us. No one else had seen or heard a thing, but his tone was convincing. I just knew he was telling the truth. The doctor? Yes. You trusted him. When he claimed he'd seen and heard something, you hadn't. Well, yes. Was he preternaturally gifted then? Acute senses? Not that I know of. That you never thought he might be mistaken? Oh, he was wrong all the time about all sorts of things. But he knew more than we ever did. I don't quite understand. Well then, we're in the same boat, aren't we? Even when he was wrong, he was wrong for good reasons. He'd seen more than we could ever imagine. I see. But not a man easily duped. Look, if he'd ended up in the tower with his hands on the crown jewels or something, there'd be a good reason for it. That's good to know. Would you like to proceed? The incidents in Hisk. Where was I? You'd found Allet's body. Of course. Once we'd managed to gather ourselves, we headed back to the main square to report the death to the constables. There was just one on duty there. He didn't seem particularly concerned. Only to be expected, of course. Harbinger case. The doctor wasn't so sure. I regret to say, I think not. I suspect another party was involved. He explained about the figure he'd glimpsed running from the scene. The constable sighed. It's highly unlikely. But if anyone has fled the scene, I wouldn't be too concerned. They'll still be in this sector. All transport links close down at night. Really? And why, pray, is that? Well, there's no night trading here, sir. Who'd want to travel when there's no markets? Seemed to make sense in hisk terms. If anyone else was there, involved in the death, it'll show up in tomorrow's Limbus sessions. Crime's something the dreaming mind can't mask. It's one of the things that makes Hisk so peaceful. It also seemed to have made the police somewhat ineffectual. But what if they don't go to Limbus? asked Barbara. The constable seemed shocked. It's every citizen's duty to attend Limbus, madam. Any absentees will be registered. The rest of the night was difficult. We were all troubled, but Vicky seemed particularly so. It took a long time to get her to sleep. Is she all right, Barbara? 
No, not really, Ian. Not yet. I think she blames herself for all this. The way she laughed at Allard, taking his place in Limbus. I think she thinks if she hadn't done that, he might still be alive. But you can't seriously think that makes her responsible. Can't she? I'd better get back to her now. Barbara, yes? Nothing. Good night. The next morning, the doctor trooped us into the Limbus Hall and started making demands. He insisted we interrogate everyone about the night before. He became quite imperious about it. He began by making the constables check their travel records. To be certain no one had left the sector? Yes. Transport started up again at dawn, you see. Market traffic? Exactly. Then slowly, without anyone noticing, he started to take charge of the constables. It's funny. We were a bit like your lot, looking for Susan, leading a police search for someone who didn't seem to exist. The doctor stood in the centre of the hall, a still point around which everyone else revolved. He assigned jobs with a jab of his bony fingers. You, constable, will organise additional limbus sessions. You, check for absentees. You shall accompany my friends in limbus, and you, you will assist their investigations there. What are we looking for? Guilty unconsciousnesses, he said. I made a sort of feeble joke about looking for people's eyes moving closer together in their dream. He didn't seem to understand. So you interrogated everyone in the sector? Over the course of the day. We were quite nice interrogators, though. None of the chains and threats. You obviously weren't in a hurry. We were in our second Limbus session when I heard the scream. I looked around. Barbara was questioning a mouse in a leather apron. Vicky was nowhere to be seen. She'd vanished from Limbus. With our constable's help, we disengaged from the dream and returned to the hall. Vicky was with the doctor. He was patting her gently on the back as she buried her head in his chest. His eyes looked troubled, though he tried to keep it from his voice. Now there, my child. It was just a dream, that's all. Just a dream. It wasn't, though, she said. It was real. I felt a hand on my shoulder in Nimbus, and when I turned round, it was Bennett. My old guardian, Bennett. But his face wasn't right somehow. Oh, Vicky, said Barbara. That happens a lot in dreams. Nimbus will be just the same. But then scales and spines grew out of him, Barbara. And he grabbed me and said, Surprise! In that horrible voice. And then I looked again. He turned into a harbinger. I'm going to die, aren't I? No one rushed to reply. You'll pardon me for saying it, but all that was the doctor's fault. He endangered you unnecessarily. Do you think? Yes. You'd already seen a man die as a result of Limbus. Possibly. We weren't sure then. And it was clear Vicky was distressed. Exactly the wrong state of mind to go back into Limbus. He could have got you all killed. He let the three of you face danger while he waited safely in the hall. No. 
That's not how it was. Perhaps once I'd have agreed with you. Perhaps once you were right. You know how persuasive the Doctor can be, how he can change your mind about things. You were with him a long time. The Doctor was the first to answer, Vicky. Nonsense! You're not going to die? Not at all. Think! The fact you were confronted by this creature suggests two things quite clearly. Firstly, it is not something you yourself have created. It belongs to this culture. It appears to you in its traditional form. Remember? If it had truly been summoned up from within you, that would not be so. Secondly, whatever it truly is, it feels threatened by you. Ergo, we can defeat it. But I'm from this time, Vicky protested. The Limbus machines are, are like the teaching machines I used at home. I might be enough part of this culture to share the unconscious symbols. Don't be absurd, child. I wasn't so convinced she was being absurd. So, what are the harbingers, if they're not symbols, Doctor? He put his hands together. I'm not sure, yet. There is a physical killer at large here. I'm certain of that. I heard footsteps and saw a figure flee Alert's room, remember? I also believe that killer is somehow linked to these harbingers. But beyond that, I can't say. Well, how can we fight something if we don't know what it is? By learning, my boy. And the sooner, the better. He didn't spell out the reason for urgency, but we all remembered the constable's words the previous day. No one's ever touched by a harbinger and lives more than a few days, I'm afraid. The doctor persuaded the constables to let us have access to their central records. They just let him? No. He persuaded them. How? I don't understand how he does that. Why do people trust him? I don't know. I think he just radiates the fact he's trustworthy somehow. It's either that or... Go on. Or he's very, very clever and knows how to seem trustworthy. I think we both know he's very clever, don't we? I trust him. And whatever's going on here, whatever's brought him back to London, you should too. Please, just finish your story. The market constables were a bit like you, really. Barbara, Vicky and I, they trusted. The doctor, not quite so much. We'd been in Limbus. They had some sense of our inner selves. They could tell we were reliable. But the doctor didn't share his dreams like us. They gave us permission to search the city records, but they insisted the doctor was accompanied at all times. Either a constable or one of us had to be permanently with him. He blustered indignantly for a while. I, I'm trying to investigate a murder here and prevent a second. You should be assisting me, not getting under my feet, until they pointed out. He was exactly the kind of dangerous person he alleged they should be looking for. Someone who somehow remained a mystery to the rest of Hisk. 
One of the constables said any information we wanted could be dream-visualised for us. We could set up solo Limbus sessions for you. Much more efficient. The doctor gave him short shrift. No, no, no. My young friend here has been traumatised by it. And I can't use the thing. The girl's parents here could always access it for you. The doctor snapped. Young man, we require first-hand facts, not hearsay. The constable looked a little hurt. If I gained my understanding of your world from a dream designed to make it clear to Mr. Chesterton, I'd run the risk of learning more about him than it. That would never do, I said. He ignored me. I'd rather we trust our own eyes and ears first and use our imaginations later. The constable seemed to understand. He led us to rooms at the back of the hall. Records. The rooms were dusty, obviously little used. Each contained a television screen with a typewriter keyboard underneath. They were connected to something a bit like an automatic telephone exchange, but this one could dial up microfiche records. Vicky sat Barbara and I down at one of the keyboards and showed us how to use them. It seemed second nature to her, but it took us a little while to get the hang of it. The doctor set us to work. We were to research past harbinger deaths in the city records, searching for anything that looked peculiar. He and Vicky would explore the principles of Limbus in the room next door. Oh, we get the donkey work while you two do the science, eh? Well, obviously, my boy, you and Barbara have greater knowledge of human nature. You'll see patterns in those files Vicky and I never would. And you haven't the first clue about transcranial induction feedback, Vicky added. I could learn, I said. Not without a lot of transcranial induction, I'm afraid, and that might rather defeat the point. Barbara patted my arm. Come and help me with my screen, she said. The records weren't easy reading. We went back years through hundreds of personal tragedies. The Harbinger's sighting was always there, just days before the end. It wasn't just in this part of the city either. Hisk was divided into 20 trading zones, each one hour ahead of its neighbor. It meant some part of the city was always trading, day or night. Harbingers were appearing in every sector's nimbus breaks. As we went through the files, we found five or six instances of harbingers appearing in completely different sectors on the same day. If Vicky's harbinger was somehow a real entity, there was either more than one, or it was frighteningly mobile. It was harder to draw any clear pattern from the scene of death reports. They were sketchy at best, and often dismissive. They worked on the assumption all were cases of suicide, even when the evidence seemed unclear. These people had all been embraced by a harbinger after all. A mark of terminal depression? What else could their deaths have been? After several grueling hours, we reconvened in the main hall and compared notes with the doctor and Vicky. 
the doctor appeared a little deflated. It seemed he'd been working on an assumption. We were dealing with a killer made of dream stuff. He'd thought dreams were somehow finding a way into reality, but they weren't. It had become clear that was something far beyond the technology of Limbus. Well, surely that's good news, said Barbara. If we're up against a person, rather than some kind of living nightmare, we've less to worry about. We've something concrete to face. The doctor smiled at her and said she was right. But I could tell that wasn't what he was thinking. Quite so. Ruling out a hypothesis is an important step on the road, he said with forced brightness. It focuses our energies onto where the truth must lie. All that remains is to determine the details we're still missing that will reveal the answer. Just that, I thought. Vicky and I will delve deeper into the intricacies of the Limbus mechanism, the doctor continued, putting an arm round Barbara's shoulder. I want to see if we can fathom exactly the process that makes these harbingers manifest. You and Ian must continue to scour the city records, I fear. See if you can find witness reports for any of these unfortunate deaths. Anything that might suggest someone fleeing the scene. He didn't manage to convince me he held out much hope. As Vicky and Barbara headed back to our research rooms, I held the doctor back. You think we might not be facing something real now, don't you? I can't say I follow you, Chesterton. I think you're worried. Vicky's caught an idea that you were wrong, and there's no physical killer here at all, I said. If the Harbinger is a notion that uh, somehow grown up in Limbus, a fault in the workings that infects vulnerable people and slowly takes control, it might lead Vicky to take her own... If that's so, we must be vigilant. How can we defeat an idea? I don't know, my boy, but we must. I looked into his eyes. What if we left here, Doctor? Took Vicky away in the TARDIS? Might the influence on her fail? He avoided my gaze. It might. It might not. In either case, it would do nothing to protect the poor people here. Now would it? I suppose not. So what do we do? We redouble our efforts. I shall keep a close eye on Vicky. A noise came from Vicky's workroom. A clatter, gasping. Vicky! We ran in together, and there was Vicky. Her hand found her neck. She seemed to be choking at first, I thought. Choking herself. Get off her! The doctor launched himself at Vicky, attacking her. Doctor, what are you doing? Help me, my boy! What with? Concentrate! Can't you see him? Then I realised he wasn't attacking Vicky at all. He was fighting someone in between him and Vicky. Someone completely invisible. Vicky's hands weren't at her neck at all. They were trying to wrench someone else's away from it. With an effort of will, I began to see the attacker's figure. At first, just a pale, translucent blue ghost. Then, all too solid. It was our constable chaperone. I'd almost forgotten he'd been there. Between us, 
We wrestled him away from Vicky. Then, with a deft hand move I didn't properly see, the doctor rendered him unconscious. He is strong then, the doctor. He can be, yes. He's unpredictable. Barbara and I looked down on the constable, slumped on the floor, out cold, while the doctor fussed around Vicky. The constables, said Barbara, are they behind this? I fear so. I assume Nimbus conditions people not to see the killers in their midst. It took us a while. Yes, I suspect your limited exposure made it easier for you to break the conditioning. So that's why only you heard the killer leaving Alet's room. Why we couldn't see him running away. The next thing I knew, I was on the floor. I was in another part of the room. And I was aching, aching all over. It felt like I'd gone three rounds with Sugar Ray. Focus, focus on the light. The doctor was shining a pulsing blue light in my eyes. He was refracting the beam of his pen torch through the stone of his signet ring. Barbara lay like a rag doll by my side. Vicky was cowering in the corner, as far from us and the unconscious constable as she could get. Barbara groaned at my side. Oh, my dear Barbara, I am so glad you're all right, said the doctor. I'm afraid matters are rather worse than we feared. You've both been in a sort of temporary trance. I must have looked confused. It's not just the constables, Ian. Limbus is leaving seeds of suggestion in all its users. Everyone in Hisk is a potential harbinger killer. The city has arranged it so nobody knows or notices they're doing it. But why? To get rid of those people society doesn't deem fit. The doubtridden, the depressed, the unworthy. I imagine Facing a harbinger is usually enough to send these poor souls to self-destruction. When it isn't, the city turns its own people into killers to make sure. That's horrible, said Vicky. Disgusting, said the doctor. The people here have become monsters without knowing it. I felt suddenly nauseous, as if something was clawing at me, trying to force my surrender. I felt the doctor's hand on my face. Concentrate, Ian. I need to clear your programming. I have to put you and Barbara in Limbus for the safety of us all. I wasn't sure how that would help. I believe I understand enough of its principles now. Vicky and I can create an isolated version of Limbus here in which you can rewrite whatever it's planted in you. Isn't Vicky in the same danger as us? I don't think so. She resisted the city enough that it sent a man to kill her. If she was as susceptible as you, I suspect she'd have died by her own hand. I shuddered. Perhaps resisting the city is one of the things it tries to eliminate, said Barbara. Perhaps, said the doctor. We can discuss this later. He 
took Vicky by the hand and shooed us into the main hall. The doctor pulled back a tapestry from the wall, revealing a panel of controls behind it, covered in blinking lights. Onto the beds, quickly! He clicked a series of buttons. A few of the lights changed color, and the hall's great doors clanked shut. We're secure now. Vicky, you isolate the network. I'll reroute it and loop it round. Right, Ian Barbara. I've cut this Limbus Hall off from the city's control. The local Limbus world will be yours to shape in there. Pull your shields down and concentrate on familiar things. Concentrate on home. As we let ourselves go into Limbus, I heard pounding on the hall's double doors. The citizens of Hisk had been sent to ensure Vicky died. I don't know a lot what happened next. Barbara and I were in Limbus together for most of it, sharing a dream of home, a version of Earth made out of just our memories. Anyway, while we were in there, the Doctor and Vicky managed to rewire the hall somehow. They pushed a series of beds over to the main entrance and arranged them so their shields made contact with the doors. Then they boosted the power. Apparently, anyone touching the door was getting our shared dream projected forcibly into their heads. Little by little, the people banging to get in were turned into our allies. Slowly, over hours, it may even have been days, we overwrote Hisk's great shared dream. Our little dreams of home washed it away, like the sea sweeping a sandcastle to nothing. When enough people at the door were seated with the dream, the doctor opened up the doors and let them in. They lay down beside us and joined us. Soon, the whole square was in there, dreaming of our Earth. Once he'd done that, the doctor reconnected our hall to the rest of Limbus. Our minds in unison spread out further, taking over the entire Limbus network. Bits of our visions didn't match up, of course. They were a patchwork made out of strangers reinterpreting things only Barbara and I had truly seen. But enough did. Gradually, all the city's grand dreams crumbled and fell, replaced by the simple entwined hopes and memories of two ordinary people. When we finally came round, the doctor was almost dancing in triumphant glee. You erased a whole city's collective mind and replaced it with your own. I suppose that's the kind of thing you Secret Service types dream of, isn't it? Enforcing conformity on people in their sleep? It would make life a lot easier. Do you honestly think they won't notice, though? Sorry? The point your ideas take over. All you've really wanted to know from me in all this has been the Doctor and Vicky's strengths and weaknesses. Ways you can undermine them in my eyes. Ways you can fight them. 
But you've not learned them well enough, I'm afraid. You've let your own weaknesses show. I don't understand. No? You imagine everyone thinks like you. Even the people whose difference scares you. Surprise! Surprise! The story's not quite over yet, is it? I... I... This is Barbara. Hello. Vicky. Hello. I'm not really Vicky. I'm just how Ian imagines she'd be. Thank you, Vicky. We look about right, but he can't really do the voice. And I am the doctor. Or a dream of him, anyway. In dreams. People often aren't who they're supposed to be. Have you noticed? Please. You were quite convincing at first, but I rumbled you, I'm afraid. This is still Limbus, and you're the last vestiges of Hisk's poisoned dream. We're still in that last battle. You tried to convince me I'd already won. A brave, last-ditch effort. You've been trying to break me down and find weapons to attack the Doctor with all along. No, that, not it. I, I, Your ending was the biggest giveaway. My memory of that victory, my return to Earth, both a bit too straightforward and glossed over somehow. Clever to plant them but not quite right. And I think a little too callous. The way you had me gleeful in victory. That would have come out of Ian's version of you in his head, though. It's made out of his memories like this place is. Vicky, there's no need to tell the doctor that. Why not? Because it's appallingly tactless and rude. My girl, I can only assume that's how Ian thinks of you. Oh, well, as long as it's not my fault. Shh, let Ian talk. You see, I've found a thing out about dreams, travelling with a the doctor. They're often a lot less fantastical than real life. Time to go, I feel. Don't kill me, please. You're not killers. I know that. I... I... Take our hands. Let's take you out of this prison you've built. But I make it work. I make the people safe. I make them happy. Unless you decide they don't count. Come along now. It's time you built a new dream for your city. I'm scared. This time, though, you must build it together. Never allow the people to matter less than your shared vision. Come on. Let's get you out in the light. Barbara? Yes, Vicky? If we're Ian's dream version of us, is that why you're dressed funny? It's not really polite to mention that, Vicky. Oh, sorry. Are you coming, Ian? Yes. Uh, just give me a moment. I just want to switch off this tape. Why? It's not real. I know. It just makes symbolic sense somehow. I think sometimes that's all that matters. <laughs>